In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, Paul says, I discipline my body and make it my slave. You know, we often forget, guys, that God has called us to steward the bodies he gave us so that we'll be ready, healthy, and spiritually dangerous to fight the good fight, whether it's working at your job, serving your God, protecting your bride, or being a great dad to your kids. That's why we're so excited to partner with Mountain Tough Fitness Lab. Mountain Tough Fitness Lab is run by Christian men who are passionate about training you to be your best version and to stay dangerous and ready for God. Join me on my journey by going to mountaintough.com. That's M-T-N-T-O-U-G-H and getting your free six-week trial when you type in the code ARENA30. You won't be disappointed. Stay dangerous. Welcome to the Man Card Podcast and our mission to build an army of men in the arena who are becoming the best version of themselves in changing their world. Males are born. Men are made. We're going to separate the men from the boys. A man is as a man does. We want to help you to become the best version of you. Theodore Roosevelt spoke about this rare breed saying, the credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood. That's awesome. The man card belongs to those protecting integrity, fighting apathy, pursuing God passionately, leading courageously, and finishing strong. A man is as a man does. Enjoy today's episode. To those who are in the arena, we we salute you. Hey guys, we honor you for getting it done in the stress bubble of life. We're in this together, men. Males retreat, but you've jumped into the fray of manhood. Thank you, and thank you for listening to this episode of the Man Card Podcast. Man, we are pumped that you are listening today. We want to call you in. We want to call you out. We want to call you up to higher levels of manhood and you becoming the best version of you. I'm Jim Ramos. I'm here with the mix master, Dr. Pat George. How you doing, Doc? Good morning, man. Good. I'm excited for today. Oh, yeah. And I'm here with my good friend, producer, and co-host, Dale Culver. How you doing, my man? I'm doing good, Jim. How you doing? Good. Thanks you for, don't call- sound thanks good for this calling morning. me, Jim. I'm a little bit uh, sick, but I'm uh, sucking it up because that's yeah. what men do. So, hey, buddy, you got a man word for us today? I do. This, uh, do word... I get a guess? Yeah, go for it. Builders. Labrador. What word, what word association goes with Labrador? Retriever? Yeah. That's your word, retriever. No, but what word would go with that in the uh, dog, spectrum dog. of, of uh, personalities? Oh, uh, um, yeah, phlegmatic? All right, cool. You're getting really close, so I'll just tell you, loyalty. <laughs> oh, loyalty. Okay, why would you pick that word? Uh, loyal to the bitter end. I mean, in marriage, that's a big thing, and our guest, I think... Uh, would uh would agree with me on this yeah. he can shout out if he wants to but uh yeah being loyal to your spouse um hanging in there in the tough times and uh you know our relationship that you and i have the loyalty that we have to one another yeah you, so you can words, speak on that you're Go putting ahead. up with my crap yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh but well i think you're right i think with shannon and i you know we just celebrated 25 years of marriage in august and I think if, if her and I were to sit here and be honest, we would say that one of the main things that has got us through this last 25 years has been just flat-out stubbornness. We were just unwilling to give up on the marriage and fighting and fighting. There's never been adulterous, nothing like that, but just we're just stubborn, hard-headed people, and uh, I think that loyalty 
I married one of the most, probably the most faithful person I've ever met in my life. And so I appreciate that word, man. That's good stuff. And then you, you hired the second one. Yeah, I did. I hired the second one. <laughs> and I've been regretting that all my life. So I've been married to him for like 10 years. So anyway, hey, I'm, I just want to make a couple of announcements before we get on with our guest today. I'm really excited about the Men in the Arena closed Facebook Forum for Men. I mean, that page is growing. It's brand new, and it's already growing more than 1,000 guys a month. And uh, we're excited to get to 30,000 men in that arena real quick here and launch uh, our virtual teams and some things that will be really exciting to see internationally. So super excited. The man card, five characteristics separating men from boys is almost done. It'll be ready for our first ever conference on February 23rd. And so I'm super, super excited about that. But uh, I'm really pumped today, you guys. Uh, We've got a guest on today that really, uh, he unknowingly has really impacted our marriage. And uh, I went through this book that he wrote and uh, reached out to him, and he responded back. And so I'm super excited to have uh, Dr. William, I'll be calling him Bill, Harley, on our uh, podcast today. Let me read his bio to you guys. He's best known uh, author of the internationally best-selling book, His Needs, Her Needs, Building an Affair-Proof Marriage. Listen to this. Over four million copies. Four million have been sold and it's available in 22 foreign translations. Anyway, Dr. Harley earned a PhD in psychology from the University of California at Santa Barbara in 1967. So this guy's 76 years old, man. He's still in the fight. He has a daily radio show with his wife, Joyce. <clears throat> He's a licensed clinical psychologist in Minnesota since 1975. But in 1973, he discovered that he was not alone in his failure to save marriages. Almost everyone in the marital therapy profession were also failing, so he spent the next two years designing an entirely new approach. When his success rate skyrocketed in 77, he resigned from his teaching position uh, to counsel full-time, and over the next 10 years, his solo practice exploded into the largest network of mental health clinics in Minnesota with 32 locations. Anyway, pretty awesome stuff. He became the exclusive provider of mental health and chemical dependency services in 10 counties and had offices uh, in other counties as well. Anyway, this guy's done a lot of stuff. He actually created over 100 questionnaires, wrote numerous articles that were given to clients as part of their therapy. Among the materials he wrote was His Needs, Her Needs, which was was first published way back in 1986. 86. So we're talking a long time ago. And uh, it was written to support uh, the text for his marriage counseling program. But within three years, it became a national bestseller. So since then, he's written over 19 uh, more, written 19 more books and hundreds, hundreds of articles. Currently, he and his wife, Joyce, host a daily one-hour call-in show, Marriage Builders Radio. It can be heard on radio stations and the internet. They've been married 54 years and live in White Bear Lake, Minnesota. They have two adult children who are now working with them in their marriage as coaches and have four grandchildren. Is that accurate, Bill? And we have one great grandchild. I was uh-huh. wondering. Yes. I was. Hey, man, it is it is so good uh, to have you on the show. Uh, I really appreciated you responding to my email, and uh, man, I'm excited. What we're going to do today is we are going to start off. We're going to get warmed up, and we're going to move into what we call our rapid fire round. And then what we're going to do is we're going to go into the interview questions. So what I've chosen for you, Doctor, is uh, what mm-hmm. we call our word association round. I'm so, not good at this. So, <laughs> yeah, you can dish it out, but can you take it? Anyway. My, 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 my word associations are so bizarre that nobody understands the connections <laughs> with me. <laughs> well, I've picked things that are either out of your book or things that resonated. And because uh, 
uh, because I am who I am, two of the five words are actually two words. So okay. here's here's your first one. Are you ready? All right, I'm ready. Santa Barbara. Uh, Joyce. Oh, is she a Southern cowgirl? That's where I met her. <laughs> well, I, I wrote that down because I grew up in San Luis Obispo. Ah, yeah, not too far away. Yep. So I figured we're kind of neighbors. Now, did you were you born and raised there? I was born in Philadelphia, and oh, my dad uh, took a my dad took a job. Yeah, yeah, one first time. I know. First time. Big. Oh yeah. They had to beat the Vikings to do it, though. Well, the Vikings are, are used to losing. I'm in, in the Minnesota final now. Oh, are you? Yeah. yeah. But anyway, no, I, I, we, we, I moved to Minnesota when I was, or to Santa Barbara when I was three. And um, so basically, I'm a Santa Barbaran. And then we moved to Minnesota when I, in 1972. And we've been there ever since. Okay, I got you. I just had to laugh when I saw Santa Barbara. And so that's really funny. So next, next word for you. And this is going to be more in line with your expertise. The word is admiration. Oh, see, and again, associations for me go to Admiration Society. (laughs) (laughs) Admiration is the tenth emotional need that I have listed as the most important in marriage. That's good. Admiration. And now how would you, how would you, when I read the book, I was questioning how does admiration work together with respect? Yeah, it's an interesting issue because it comes up on a radio show quite a bit. Uh, yeah. admi- admiration, um, the, way I, the way I define admiration is, is controversial. Um, I, I, include, ad, I, I re- include respect and appreciation. Okay. Both of them. People have argued with me that those are different. Appreciation is different than respect. You can you can respect somebody you don't appreciate. You can appreciate somebody you don't respect. Uh-huh. Um, th- what I what I try to do in my admiration category is to try to encourage both of these things simultaneously. And uh... people have argued people have argued that I should have a eleventh category where I divide them up. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Well, that's anyway. you know when I wrote when I was reading your book, I actually wrote down respect next to it because I was. I, I can understand what you're getting to, so that's good, 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 good. Okay, next word. Are you ready for the third word? Yeah, I'm ready. All right, this one, man. If you this one, you should hit out of the park. Marriage. Again, counseling. See, I'm, I'm very bad at this kind of. Thing. <laughs> no, no, no. You're good. Talk to me. Talk us through it. Talk us through it. Ma- marriage. Um, for for me, marriage connotes to me a dangerous practice. Ooh. You know, the, the basically, and, and we're getting more and more of this, um, especially among the millennials. People are scared to death of getting married. And when you think of marriage in, in, in my business, where I'm, where I'm coming from, what, what you're picking up is the reactions, especially that men have about marriage, that it's a trap. It's, it's a way of them losing their identity. It's a way of, of forcing them down a road they don't want to go. Wow. Um, huge negative connotations to marriage that we have to deal with uh, every, every single day. And, of course, the problems that people come to us with are good evidence that marriage is a dangerous uh, uh, practice. And uh, to, for people to get married, they have good reasons to be 
somewhat concerned and afraid. So I mean, so I look at marriage from my perspective as a ma- marvelous, marvelous institution by God. God gave us something that is truly remarkable. And yet, in the people and the experiences that I have trying to help people with their marriages, I also see it as something that is extremely dangerous for people that don't know how to do it right. That's so good. Uh, It is dangerous. And, you know, it's interesting. I'm a a child of a divorce. So my parents were divorced when I was a teenager, and I vowed never to get divorced. And so I did view marriage as somewhat of a trap because I knew that once I was in, I was locked in. And so that's really interesting. And I love how you use the word counseling to describe marriage because I think great marriages get counseling and need counseling. They need help. They need outside resources. That's so good. Yeah, and I think that basically, you know, we don't get we don't get people that have great good marriages and they want a great marriages. Yeah. We don't we don't get that group. Yeah. We get the group that is on the edge of a divorce. They are suffering terribly. They are um they they they're, they're looking for answers and and generally speaking they're in a state of crisis. That that's basically our average guy. So when we're when we look at marriages, when the experience that I see in marriage if I didn't have a good marriage, I don't think I could do this. Wow! Because I would be uh, every, every time I would come across another case, I'd be thinking about the problems in my own marriage, and it would drive me to depression. So it, it's extremely helpful if you're going to be a marriage counselor to have a superb marriage. That way, you have you, you have the endurance to to handle all of these crises that people are throwing at you. So the whole gardener landscape deal is not not a good idea. Like the landscaper's yard is usually the worst kept yard in the in the neighborhood. You're saying, well, you know, <laughs> yeah, I yeah, and I really I really believe that I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing right now if I hadn't had. Uh, we're actually married 55 years now. If oh, we, wow. If we didn't have 55 great years, not not one bad year in the 55, not wow. one, that, that I don't think I could do what I'm doing. I, I think it would be too hard on me emotionally. I'd be remembering the mistakes of the past. You know and, what? And wow. Because they, people would be reminding me of them all the time in, in the cases <laughs> that I have. I appreciate so. your integrity behind that statement. I really, really do. That's so good. Hey, thir- uh, fourth word is the word affection. Sex. <laughs> you know what? That's exactly what I would have said. Okay. Okay. I'm not going to, I don't want you to explain that. I'm going to come back to that in an interview later on. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to come back to the age old tension, high school tension. Right. But uh, we'll come back to that. So the last word is really two words. And you know what, Bill, I didn't realize this. Um, when I talk to people and I use your book as a reference, which I do often, and, and I talk through the needs, I did not realize mm-hmm. that every marriage I perform Every single marriage, I talk about this phrase in your book, and I didn't realize that I got it from you. So I want you to explain these two words, love mm-hmm. bank. Yeah, the love bank is a, is a concept I developed early on in my career to help people understand that everything they do affects each other in marriage. Yeah. And it either makes love bank deposits or it makes love bank withdrawals. And this is why your behavior is so important to, to understand how it's affecting the other guy. And I use the love bank just as a way to help people realize that you got deposits and withdrawals, and the love bank has what I call the romantic love threshold. When you reach a certain point, you fall in love, and you have a marvelous relationship, and you have great personal experiences. But you can also reach what I call the hate threshold, 
where if you make too many withdrawals, you end up hating each other. People that should be caring for each other come to hate each other just because of the way they're affecting each other in the wrong ways. So it's just a way of helping people understand how everything they do affects each other, makes withdrawals or deposits. Well, you know what's interesting, too, is I've, I've realized this, is that when I talk to people who hate somebody, almost unequivocally every time they used to love that person. So that love yeah. and hate yeah. is so closely connected, right? right? Yep. It, well, it, what it is, it's a, it, and I, this is, um, I'm writing a new article, actually, on dating, dating and marriage, a new s- series of articles, actually. I'm in the, I'm, I'm, I've, I've got six posted, I'm, seventh will be on Saturday. But the basic idea is that I'm on the article where love turns to hate. Mm. And, and that you, the, the question really is, how can you save a marriage when two people hate each other? And I go through in this article, the procedure I use to try to turn this thing around. But the basic idea of hate is this, that when you're with somebody that you, that, that is really bothering you, that's irritating you, that's disrespectful toward you, that is just not the person you want to be with, we, we, mostly, we mostly eliminate that person from our, um, from, from our environment, yep. you know, and, and we, we just don't see them anymore. So you don't hate the person, you get away from the person. The person that you are likely to hate is somebody you can't get away from. And the person that is most likely to create a hatred, a feeling toward you, is somebody who is in, in persistent in their making love bank withdrawals. That oh. turns out to be your spouse. That's your spouse. Oh. Your spouse is the one that can do that more than anyone else can. Yes. So, okay, so so Bill, you, you said something earlier that I want to go back to. You said that you talk to people all the time who are, quote, on the edge of divorce. Now, you talked about the romantic love threshold, and you talked about the hate threshold. Is this yep. family, this couple that is on the edge of divorce, are, is this a couple that have crossed over from the romantic love threshold to the hate threshold, and so you're talking them off the ledge of hate? Is, is this what we're talking about? Yeah, yeah, and it's basically the, the instincts that we have when we hate somebody is to try to get away from them. And, of course, in yeah. marriage, you know, you have all these re- things, reasons not to get away, and so it gets worse and worse and worse and worse. So by the time they come to see me, what they want me to do is help them get out of this relationship. Oh. Um, that they, and, and so my job is to, is, to, is to get love bank deposits going in a relationship where people want to get away from each other. And um, and another thing that's really interesting about hating somebody is that our instincts make us repulsive to the one we hate. So here is somebody who doesn't want to be in the relationship, and so they end up being deliberately disrespectful, deliberately angry, deliberately oh, um, wow. hurtful in their behavior. Be you know, instinctively they just don't want to be with this person anymore. So how do I? How do I heal that kind of a relationship where I'm, I'm dealing with somebody who's, whose instincts are going against them at every turn, and yet their intelligence is saying, I don't want to get a divorce. I want to stay in this marriage, but I want to be in love. I don't want to be hating, and I've got to somehow figure out how I can rise above this, this pain that I'm experiencing, this, the, the, the anger that I feel, the resentment that I feel, that is that is making me do things to my spouse that I wish I wouldn't do. Oh, See, this man. is the, kind of the, in, the, the 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 deal. This is what I deal with, 
and it's 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 an incredible. It, I've argued for years that our instincts are not always working for us. Instincts are not always a good idea. You know, it's and, inter- in yeah. marriage is. In marriage, especially, my my instincts, especially when my, when I'm not getting along with my spouse, create a negative feedback loop, where I end up doing things that I really shouldn't be doing. I know I shouldn't be doing them, but I do them so instinctively, and it makes the marriage worse than it would be otherwise. So by by being a counselor, I'm I'm like a coach. I'm I, Tom Landry said, a coach is somebody that. Makes you do something you don't want to do so you can be somebody you want to be. Oh, I've mm. quoted that many yeah. times, my friend. <laughs> yes, and, and that's what I do. I, I make people do what they don't want to do so that they can have an outcome that they want to have. And oh. in order to be happily married, you cannot engage in what I call love busters, which are very instinctive, especially when you don't like somebody. And I want you to meet, to, to meet emotional needs, which you don't feel like doing when you don't like somebody. So I make, I make people do the right thing. And as long as I can achieve that objective, their marriage turns out great. Well, you know, last week we had a man on our podcast. You might be familiar with him. His name is Earl Wilson. He and his wife, Sandy, wrote a book called Restoring the Fallen. And he also is a clinical psych... Well, he's a psychologist, correct? <laughs> anyway, they're out here in Oregon. They have a ministry called Tough Stuff Ministries. <clears throat> and he talked about, it was his story about his adultery and betrayal of his wife and how got, how uh, they restored that marriage and been married 58 years. But he talked about his book, in his book, he spoke about love gifts. And I I think that if we were to, to marry your book and his together, we could talk about love gifts as a way to build the love bank, which I think is really an interesting concept that to build that love bank, you have to invest something into it, Correct. Oh, absolutely. And so, yeah, and and when you're in love, it's no problem. I mean, you 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 your your instincts are working with you when you're in love. Yeah. I mean, er, everything <laughs> in you is wanting to make love bank deposits. Yes. But the problem that you run into in marriage is that we get distracted. Uh, we get we get responsibilities. We 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 we've got financial problems. We've got kids. We've got. We've got uh, people wanting us to help them with this and that, and we we lose the the very thing that got us married in the first place, which is the meeting of each other's emotional needs. Mm. And when that happens, basically it keeps going south. And and as soon as you're below zero in the love bank, now your instincts are not telling you to meet the other guy's emotional needs. Your instincts are telling you to avoid the person. And you come up with all these excuses not to be together. You might be interested in reading this series that I've got. It's in the article section of the marriagebuilders.com website, and it goes right at the top. I'm in, I'm in the sixth, uh, the seventh one will be posted, but it's dating, dating after marriage, dating after Ooh. marriage. And the basic argument that I'm making, and I make the same argument in his needs, her needs, in the chapter on, in the chapter on um, recreational companionship at the end, I talk about the importance of dating and pulling together affection, intimate conversation, sexual fulfillment, recreational companionship into one dating experience. And, and, and by reading these articles, you'll see how, how a person in our day and age can actually schedule that into their lives each week that guarantees their romantic love for each other throughout their life. And Joyce and I have actually done this in the 55 years that we've been married. We, to this day, date. Yeah. Oh, I and, think that's so important. This, 
yeah, to this day we have a we 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 have a regular dating experiences very similar to the ones we had when we were before we were married. Well, you know, Shanna and I, that's my wife, we have found that without our date nights every Thursday night, especially when we are living in a stress bubble with raising children and working, you know, that, mm-hmm. that stress bubble, that 25 years and the kids are in the home, <clears throat> without our date nights, we would have been done. And I, I feel like, and I think, and t- talk me through this, Bill, I think this dating concept is is difficult for men to grasp because men are conquerors and we tend to get the ring on the finger and kind of go to the next hill to die on but what men need to understand is they need to initiate this dating process it it sends a certain message uh, to the to the wife what what do you think about that i couldn't agree with you more oh. that is absolutely true as a matter of fact the, the setting up the date is an act of affection oh that's good i like that see i mean to 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 create the date if a, if, a, if a man says to a wife, well, you, you go create the date and I'll, I'll come with you, what, you, what it's basically telling her is that I don't care enough about you to do this. Yeah, yeah, it's an agenda item. Oh. Yeah. Well, hey, on page nine of your book, Bill, you, you say this. You kind of lay the foundation for the whole book with this statement about marriage that you said, become aware of each other's needs and learn to meet them. So now I see two things there. I see being aware and actually learning to meet them. Can you explain that? Yeah, the basic problem that most people have, men and women both, is that they don't understand the other guy's emotional needs. Mm-hmm. Um, or even if they do understand them, they don't respect the other person's emotional needs. People say, people have told me many times, women and men both, that the other person shouldn't have those emotional needs. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my, my, my wife shouldn't have her emotional needs. She should have my emotional needs. <laughs> you know? Interesting. And, and so the basic idea is that, that, you need to understand, not only do you need to understand, but you need respect. The fact that this person's emotional needs are there. And what is an emotional need? It's, 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 it's a craving for something that when you have it, it makes you happy. And when you don't have it, it makes you unhappy. It can be peanut butter sandwiches. It can be anything that, what, what, what makes you happy in life? We, we had a caller yesterday on our show where the, the question was, I don't think my husband should have a need for sex as number one need. He should have a need for family commitment as number one. And I said there's a difference between valuing something and enjoying something. Mm-hmm. And when you're talking about the, the, the deposit of love units, the question is what do you enjoy the most? Because that's what's going to make a lot of love bank deposits. He might argue my family is more important to me than sex. But if you want to ask me the question, what do I get the most pleasure out of? It's going to be sex. Well, and here's the thing, too, that that really impacted me about your book. Your title, His Needs, Her Needs, a need and a want are different. And we, a person can say you shouldn't right. have those needs, but that's like saying you shouldn't have to eat. And so, right, exactly. I, yeah, exactly. So I, love, I yeah. love that. In fact, that title yeah. of your book was fair, and I think even – Building an affair-proof marriage, very controversial uh, title, which is why I loved it so much. So good. Well, let's move into this. Yeah, well, oh, go ahead. I'll give you a funny story. Uh, <laughs> in my trans- in my German translation of his needs, her needs, uh, I went over it. I know I I can read German, and I went over it, and um, they translated needs as wants. Ooh. And I got back to the uh, to the editor the, of, that was doing that, and I said, no, 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 it's needs, it's not wants. And uh, the publishers uh, went to the, directly to the publisher. Publisher said, um, "We don't have we don't have in German the term emotional needs." 
uh, we can only translate it as emotional wants. And I said, well, here in America, I think I, I may have actually coined that phrase myself, hmm. emotional needs. Hmm. Um, basically, the idea is not that it is a want. We have no choice. We have no choice. It's a need that we can reflect. We can experience, experience the need without being able to change it. Well, as, a Germans, as Germans are, and I'm German, um, he was so stubborn he wouldn't change it. So today, the German public, the German book says his wants, her wants. Oh, my gosh. Well, you know, it's, it's interesting because, uh, you know, you listed, and I want to kind of start with this. I don't want to focus on this, but uh, you started with his needs. And I think it's really interesting. So his needs are number top answer, number one answer, survey said, sexual yep. fulfillment. Number two, exactly. recreational companionship. And on page 74, I wrote, not me. So I want to come back to that because okay. I, I read that book 20 years ago. And at, at, at 30, now at 50, I would say me for sure. So I've changed that. And I, and I think that you and I would stand on the same page there when I explain it. Number three, an attractive spouse. Number four, domestic support, and number five, admiration. So here's my. Yeah, I would probably turn. I'd probably turn domestic support and admiration around. Okay, that was As my next fact, question. Yeah. Yeah, my, and domestic support to me is is not what it used to be. Correct. Um, and as a matter of fact, for dual income families, I really do encourage working together on domestic. All domestic responsibilities should be done by both spouses. Okay. And. Um, so there's there's an there's an argument can be made that my category of domestic support is is obsolete. Uh, however, I continue to do surveys to see if I'm up to date, and it's still there, hmm. but it's 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 reversed. A lot of women will say will argue that domestic support is among their top five emotional needs. Yeah, um, but again, you have to remember that I'm not telling anybody what their emotional needs are. What they do is they fill out the questionnaire and they identify them for themselves. So the top five on average is not necessarily a particular person's top five. Yes, correct. Um, so they have to they have to figure it out. And then and then you see your your earlier question of you know first of all you have to understand then you have to become proficient in meeting the need. The the the, the questionnaire helps you understand the questionnaire the the need. And then the question is, how do you how do you meet that need for somebody? And of course, that's what these chapters in his needs, her needs are all about. Is how how do you go about meeting the need once you've learned that your spouse has it? Man, that's so good. Hey, we're going to take just a second, Bill, uh, to hear from mm-hmm. our sponsors. We'll come right back in a second. The Man Card Podcast is a five hundred one c three nonprofit organization that is building an army of men in the arena who are becoming the best version of themselves and changing their world. The war to change your world is epic. Every battle counts. Every man in the arena matters. So get in the game by joining our closed Facebook forum for men called The Men in the Arena. There you will lock arms with men from all around the world. This is a great page, guys. Hey, if you want to learn more about becoming the best version of you, go to themancardpodcast.com, grab a copy of The Field Guide, my bathroom book for men with 365 Daily readings about what a man is and does using famous quotes and epic stories. I wrote this book for men who don't read books. Guys, you're going to love this book. Pick up a copy today following this episode. Thank you again for jumping into the arena with us and championing the greatest battle of our time, the fight to change your world. Because when a man gets it, everyone wins. 
Okay, hey, so we're back, Bill. And uh, I want to. I have a question for you. For the men, <clears throat> you said that sexual fulfillment is the number one emotional need. And so what the key word that got on me... Average, on average. Well, I would, a lot of men will tell me that something else is more important, but on average. Yep. Well, if I were to do it, I would say sexual fulfillment and then um, admiration slash respect. But, but you list that as an emotional need. I've never thought of it that way. To me, it was always a physical need. Can you talk us through sex as an emotional need? Well, a, a physical need is something that if you don't have it, you'll die. Yes. Uh, so, so water, that air. Explain sex um, for me. <laughs> Just the, the, uh, yeah, an emotional need is something that you crave. Okay. Okay. Oh. And, and you don't you you don't die if you don't get it, but you you're unhappy if you don't get it. I got gotcha. you. And and so an emotional need is, is there are a lot of physical needs that are also emotional needs, but there are physical needs that don't have emotional needs. For example, if you if you uh, inhale uh, helium you'll die because your body is not telling you that you don't have oxygen in your system. Um, so, so there are a lot of, there are instances of things that you do that are not good for you, that your body's not telling you that. So that the emotional need doesn't necessarily have, or physical need doesn't have an emotional component necessarily. Most of them do though. Yes. I mean, when, when you're thirsty, you've got an emotional component there that's telling you, I am really unhappy. I want to, I want to get some water. So the, so the emotional need is just something that you crave, something that you really want. And when it comes to sexual fulfillment, I think most men can talk about craving sex. Yes. Okay, I really, really need to have sex right now. And this is where their wives have a hard time understanding how he can be so rude and crude about his need when what she thinks of it is more of a uh, a, a, of an opportunity to be bonded to her husband mm-hmm. and to see it as an act of affection and, and, and commitment to each other and so forth, where he's just looking at it as, as something that's purely a something I just have to have, and when I've got it, I can I can go and get my work done. Well, I could so I she, could <laughs> well I could be in the hate threshold and go, hey, want to do it? Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. No, that's so good, man. Well, I, I you know, uh, I okay. So, one of this is probably a little controversial, but you talked about an attractive spouse as one. Of, and and I read later on in your book, you talked about. Uh, you said this. You said on page one eleven, an attractive woman is made, not born. So I totally connect with your with the with the needs of a man. My need. I want my wife to be attracted attractive to me. Uh, can mm-hmm. you embellish upon this statement? An attractive woman is made, not born. Because I think there's power behind that. Yeah, basically, the problem that that most people have that are married is not that their spouse becomes unattractive with age. It is that they become unattractive because they're not taking care of themselves. Oh yeah. And um, and ninety percent of the complaints that I get about physical attractiveness in marriage is about weight. Yes. Uh, that uh, that uh, people get too heavy. And this is both men and women. I mean, women women will tell me that physical attractiveness is, is just as important to them as it is to their husbands. Really? And they, they don't want their husbands gaining weight either. I just had a woman tell me two, two days ago that, her, that she just hates having sex with her husband because he's overweight. So uh, the basic oh. idea is that weight is a big deal. Weight is a big, big deal. Then... Ninety percent. Okay, so most of, most of the time, I tell people, look, you need to be physically fit. One of the things that I encourage people to do on dates is exercise together. 
work out together. Yep, That's a yep. really great activity to have on a date. Agreed. And you're achieving several objectives at once. The endorphins that are being released are, are, are helping you bond to each other. Um, you, you enjoy, most people enjoy exercise, and you can associate that with each other. And then you're, 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 as a result, you're going to look good. So it's a, it's a great activity. That's so good, man. I really appreciate that. Well, I gosh, I, I want to move down because the, our audience is <clears throat> mostly men. Excuse me. And so I want to move into uh, an area to help equip our men in the arena. So let's. I want to talk about her needs. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so basically, I want to start with a. I want to start in descending order from number five to number one. And so I want you to mm-hmm. talk me through this because these are men. These are her needs. So these are her emotional needs, guys. So you need to meet her needs, and these are the top five. And I would call them. I know I would call them objective. You've done hundreds and thousands of surveys, and so I, I really appreciate that. Even more so since you wrote the book in 1986. So number five is family commitment. So, uh, Bill, what does this mean, and how, and how does cohabitation affect this deep need for women, or does it affect it? It affects, affects it a lot. Cohabitation is a scourge uh, on our whole society. Um, there's tro- so much evidence that children are not safe in a cohabiting relationship. Mm. Uh, th- there's a tremendous amount of evidence of, of sexual abuse, physical abuse. Um, the, the, the you have when, when you have reports of domestic violence, it's mostly people living together. It's not people that are married. And then are the and, divorce rates higher once cohabitating much higher. couples? I mean, much higher. It's just a really bad idea. Okay, so on, on, on the topic of, 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 you know, living together with somebody and, and expecting that person to care for your children for family commitment is just totally unrealistic. Now, what family commitment is, is the, the participation in the educational and moral development of your children. That's what it is. Mm. And women have a craving for their husband's to participate with them in the moral and educational development of the children. It's not child care. It's not now women can appreciate child care too. But the point is that that he is with her as a team member to make sure that these kids turn out okay. And and that she that she she makes he makes love bank deposits by 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 banking by being a, an active participant with her not by himself with yeah. her uh-huh. in the development of their of of their moral moral development and their educational development and she just loves to watch him read to the kids before they go to bed at night loves to watch him helping with their homework loves to watch them just sitting down and playing games together as a family the things she needs this from him it's an emotional need and he's making a big mistake if he turns it over to her and says, you, you take care of the kids and I'll earn the money. Well, and this is what we're finding. So these men in the stress bubble, they're working hard. Maybe the wife works hard as well, but he comes home, he picks up the remote, he pops a cold one, he sits on the couch, and the kids yep. need him. He becomes yep. fatherless. His children become fatherless in a home with a physical father. How does fatherlessness affect home? Because you're saying it's her need. I would say it's also the children's need as well how do these oh, yeah, fathers absolutely. Fam- with, yeah. without a doubt <clears throat> what have and you it's found? very important 
very important for children to be raised by both their mother and father as a team. Uh-huh. Love it. They both have something important to contribute to the development of the child. And I think if either one of them makes unilateral decisions about the training of the child, they're going to be missing something in the wisdom of, of the process. Ooh, um, yes. And so by basically joining as a husband-wife team, we're going to work, we're going to we're going to do things together as a family. We're going to develop uh, these children to understand the value of thoughtfulness, caring for other people, doing, doing what Jesus says that she wants more than anything else from us, and that is to love each other, uh-huh. that we will be known by our love. This is where we begin. We begin with the t- training the children to care for one another instead of hurt one another. Oh, that's, and, that's... and I'll tell you something, if you raise your children to be thoughtful, they're going to be a whole lot easier to raise. <laughs> yeah, they're not going to be running all over the house screaming. <laughs> well, I love that man. She deeply needs her man to engage. She yeah. needs him to engage. We had a guy on our podcast recently who said that we need to insert ourselves into the lives of those who we love and, and care for. And that's what yep. the man, you're, what you're saying is this is not only something a man should do. This is a felt need of the wife that this man participate and join and partner in right. raising the moral and educational uh, standards of their children. And he should not be making unilateral decisions either. He should be working with her. They should, they should be a joint team. What are we going to do? How are we going to do it? When are we going to do it? They make their decisions together and they do it together. She gets great gratification out of, oh, out of seeing that take place. That's so good. Well, I'm going to tell you a funny story, and then I'm going to move on to uh, uh, need number four for women. I was uh, at a coffee shop the other day, and I ran into this gentleman who I, I see him around town pretty regular, and he leaned over and he said, hey, my name is so-and-so. And he introduced himself, and I said, oh, hey, hey. He said, what do you do? And I told him what I do, and I asked him, I said, well, what do you do? And he said, well, I'm a stay-at-home dad. And so his, his wife works while he takes care of the kids. Well, need number four, you list as financial support. And we're seeing yep. more and more stay-at-home dads today. And I, and I know this is, may not be popular, but, but talk us through that. This is a felt need of hers. Uh, how, yep. how do we deal with the dads that are stay-at-home dads? And how do we, what does the financial support component mean as far as your book? Yeah, well, you don't have to meet all emotional needs for, to be in love. See, that's point number one. So you, you basically you can miss an emotional need here and there and still have a great marriage. Um, a lot of times people, uh, what happens is the wife is highly educated. I've got quite a few couples where that's the case. The wife has a high education. She makes uh, six-figure income. Uh, the husband um, did not uh, graduate from college. He's he basically has he can earn forty thousand at most, and so what they do is they decide that she goes to work. She she he he becomes a stay at home dad, and um, it, it is a problem. It is a problem, but it can work. Uh, the the real trick, of course, is that he's got to make up the difference in a lot of other areas. So most of the people that I've counseled where they've got a stay-at-home dad, um, it, it, I have, they're not happy about it, but they don't see easy answers. They don't see easy solutions. Yeah. Um, so th- my argument has always been that it's very, very important for men to earn, a, to earn a salary that is enough to support a family. She needs the option of working. Oh, that's good. She needs good. the option. Well, I appreciate and, and, that. And it, 
yeah, and and so I, you know, it can work. It can work, but he's got to really be good at these other emotional needs. He's got to make up for it. The fact that he's lost that particular uh, advantage. I love the fact. I will that you say said this that. though: that a lot of no, a lot of men think that if I make a, if if I if I support the family, that should be enough. Yeah, I don't need to meet any other emotional needs. If mm-hmm. I if I'm earning a living, I'm giving him a nice place to stay. I'm I'm giving a car. She has a she has all the freedom she wants. Why why does she want any more from me? And the answer is that it's it's one of five emotional needs, and it's not even at the top of the list. Mm-hmm. Well, well, that and that could be the problem with the what we call the greatest or the silent generation, right? They earn the living, mm-hmm. mom stayed home, and there was yep. this "I'm providing." That's it. Yep. But what the, that generation failed is they failed to be a part of the family uh, commitment in participating in the educational moral su- development of the child. What you're yeah, saying here is, re- yeah, the reason you didn't see more divorces back then was basically that women didn't have a choice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you yeah. know they were they were kind of stuck, and and now now they're not stuck anymore. Yeah, they're not absolutely. Stuck. I mean they they have they have choices. They can get out of the marriage if they need to. Uh, if 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 it's if it's if it's abusive, it's if if it's intolerable, uh, they they can support themselves. And wow. I think that that makes makes marriages the it makes it marriages today have to have higher standards than they used to have in order to survive. Oh, that's powerful. Can you explain that? Yeah, basically, I think that uh, that early on, you know, basically there was more. There were moral um, um, rules that no, you know, you, could, you can't get married. I mean, you can't get divorced. Yeah, we won't let you get divorced. Yeah, there'd be all kinds of laws, state laws, that that just prevent divorce from happening. And then, and then in the late '60s, all that changed. And 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 now people could get out of a divorce if they could get out of a marriage if they wanted to, and 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 women divorce men two to one, two to one. Oh, really? Um, yeah, two to one. And and basically, it's harder it's harder for a man to get his wife to be in love with him than it is for a woman than to be in love with a woman. It's harder to do. And the and I will admit, I will admit that the women's emotional needs are harder to achieve. Really? A, a man's emotional needs are rather easy to achieve. Yeah, well, I mean, really, <laughs> if you put, yeah, you put, you put, uh, you know, you know, sexual fulfillment at the top of the list. If he's getting that, he, he'll, he'll probably stay in the marriage. Yeah. And if he's got a <laughs> recreational companion, if she goes fishing with him and stuff, I mean, really, I mean, yeah. for most men over the top, you know, yeah. but, and, and 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 if you add a lot, if you add uh, uh, physical attractiveness to that, you know, basically you got it all. No, I yeah, with, that's your your unicorn. <laughs> yeah, when when you when you actually think about affection, affection is an environment. Environment. It's not an act. It's not something you do. It's something that pervades everything. Affection means that you you're communicating your care for your wife. In every imaginable way. Yeah. I love you. I care about you. I want you to be happy. I will be there for you when you need me. My gosh, that is a huge achievement to be able to communicate affection. And then intimate conversation. My gosh, the skills that are necessary to have great conversation is is, for for a lot of men, they just shake their heads. I've never been good at talking. And if that's what she really needs, I don't know how I can do it. So what I've done is I've, I've, I've trained men. I, we do training. Uh-huh. 
of how to talk to your wife. (laughs) Well, I want to get to that in just a second because we're one ahead of the game here. I want to camp on number three. Number three is honesty and openness. Now, we had a guy on our podcast recently. I shared his name already, Earl Wilson. He talked about lies of omission. So talk us through this honesty and openness as the number three need of a wife. And it doesn't show up for men, but it shows up for the women. That's really interesting to me. The logic of it is this, that women are in marriage for security more than... um, than 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 entertainment. Interesting. Uh, men are into it for more entertainment and less for security. Wow. Um, and so the basic idea is that honesty and openness is a big deal because honesty and openness gives her predictions of the future. You know, wow. and 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 she she knows she basically to the extent that I'm honest and open with Joyce, uh, radically honest. She understands me. She knows me. She she can reach into my soul and see who I am and what I do and how I think. And that way she can predict what I'm going to do next. And so a lot and of if, the... I, if, I, if I give her a, if I give her a misrepresentation of who I am, then she's going to be assuming that I'm going to go this way when I'm actually going that way. Oh. And, uh, and so being, uh, for a woman to understand her husband is a big deal. It's a big, big deal. It helps her become com- united with him emotionally and bonded to him and she needs to feel that way she needs to be bonded she needs security she needs to look at him and say you you made the comment at the beginning of the show about about loyalty um you you establish loyalty over time with instances of of loyalty but you can also establish loyalty with an understanding of the person see to to the extent that you know the person well you can know whether or not they're going to be loyal to you. Wow. And so this is where honesty and openness is a big deal for women. And I, I talk about radical. I, I rule the, the policy of radical honesty because people think it's radical. They think it's radical. You know, where I, I think you should be honest about everything. That's radical. Yeah, that you know? is. That is. <laughs> well, I was going to ask you how hand, far. But on the other hand, it's what the Lord wants us to be. Well, I was going to ask you how far do we take our honesty uh and then at what point are we are these lies of omission damaging well the, the point is that the lies of omission again give the give the wrong impression yes you see you, you're telling the person and and i've always said look if 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 what you're keeping from your spouse could cause her to divorce you i still maintain that this is what you should do you should tell her yeah i agree yes tell her tell her about your indiscretions tell her about the things that you would do that would horrify her, that would make her make her make her want to run for cover. Maybe she should run for cover. Yeah, yeah. Wow, you know? that's so good. Well, you talked about. I, I love this concept. I've never heard this before. That men are about entertainment, women are about security, and it, and men. It seems like men when they get themselves into problems, it's taking their entertainment too far. Like you had said, yes. building an affair-proof <laughs> marriage, right? An yeah, affair-proof right, marriage. Yeah. So, so with a man, if he takes it too far, that's going to ruin the marriage, right? I just think yeah, this is so good. That, yeah, yeah. And entertainment, you know, the basic idea is a lot of men have told me that they they drink when they come home at night because uh, they they haven't been able to get along with their wife, and they and this basically keeps them in the marriage. So the more they drink, the more the less likely they're going to get a divorce. And and my 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 basic argument is you are not providing her 
with the security that she needs in this marriage. Your drinking causes her to think of you as a person who is uncap- incapable of caring for yourself. Oh, and yeah. and your, your, your entertainment, you, you want to feel good so you have, you have a few drinks every time you come home at night. Feeling good is not the whole purpose of life. Yeah, and how does how does how does a <laughs> yeah how does entertainment slash feeling good create tension with uh, this? How how does how 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 does it relate to selfishness for a man? Well, yeah, basically, you think about selfishness as as, as getting what you need at all costs, uh, re- disregarding the needs of other people. And people can have people can be selfish about about security. No, a woman can be selfish about her need for security just as much as a man can be selfish about his need for entertainment. Yeah. But my basic argument is that in marriage, if a man provides his wife with security and a woman provides her, him with entertainment, they've come a long way toward having a great marriage. But there's an, another argument, and that is that they need to do both for each other. Yes. I mean, you know, he needs, she needs to be secure for him, and, and, and he needs to be entertaining for her. I mean, so there's a... The, the thing that I don't like about the love and respect idea is that my argument is that everybody needs love and respect. Everybody. Yes. A husband and a wife both need love and respect. And and, and so if you say, well, you've you got to do more of this, you got to do less of this, to me you're kind of missing the boat. And so I, when I say a man needs entertainment, that doesn't mean he doesn't need security. When Ooh. When a woman needs security, it doesn't mean she doesn't need entertainment. Yeah. So to some extent, it's a, it's a you know it's a tricky process to be able to pull it all together. I know that Joyce and I really do a good job entertaining each other. Mm-hmm. Really, really good. We are good. We are good at entertainment. We are also good at security. We're also good at commitment. We're also oh. good at loyalty. You know, and when you put those two together, you're you're making both spouses content i'll tell you what bill this is so powerful i am so glad i've got you on here you know we're going to get real tricky here because this number two need for men i think men scratch their head with this one help us help us with a number two need of women which is conversation i i was personally surprised this was so high on the list but once i read through the book i realized oh yeah this is this is where they're at they need our conversation can you help these big you know you know few words talking men help us through this man yeah, well, I've worked with a lot of them, and I, I've been able to establish the fact that, that men that don't talk very much actually do talk when the, you get them on the right topic. Ooh, and, uh, that's true. Hunting, <laughs> hunting. <laughs> yes, right. Sex. And so what I've encouraged women to do is to focus attention on his topics of favorite, uh, his, his favorite topics of interest. And, and – if you look at the Friends of Good Conversation, you, you'll get it, what I'm getting at with intimate conversation. First of all, it, 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 the, the, there, there are two content top, two content points. One is that you have to use your conversation to understand each other better. This is where honesty and openness comes in. This is where ex- explaining yourself to each other, asking questions, asking riveting questions, and providing answers to those questions. Um, I have what what on on the website free of charge personal history questionnaire, which I encourage people to to download and ask each other questions on the personal history. Fill it out. You'll get to know each other better that way. Well, you want, the, you know what? Sec- oh, sorry. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Then the the second the second content topic is what is your spouse's favorite topic? What Ooh. is what does your spouse really like to talk a lot about? 
educate yourself in whatever that is. Learn to be able to talk about each other's favorite topics of conversation. And, and then there are two etiquette friends. One is balance the conversation. One person should not be talking more than the other person. Oh, that's good. Don't interrupt each other. Talk to each other in a way that both people are contributing equally to the conversation. And then the last, the last etiquette is undivided attention. Don't be looking at your cell phone while you're talking to your spouse. What? I'm just kidding. Don't watch. I'm just don't kidding. watch football. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Well, you know, you said something. I want to really draw our men out and and, and focus on a little bit because I call it the art of asking questions. I just I just find that asking the right questions. Well, my wife wants to talk. All I need to do is ask the right questions. What are some sure. of the right questions? Well, the basic question you you want to ask people is um, how, what are you thinking? What are you doing? Um, what are you planning? Uh, where have you been? Um, they, they and and a lot of men feel that when their wife asks them these questions, they they feel like they're being interrogated. Yeah. And and my my argument has always been that they need to get used to that. <laughs> ah. Um, <laughs> that's basically it's it, it's an important need for a woman to be able to ask penetrating questions to her husband about his thoughts. How to, when 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 you, you when you were looking at that girl over there. Oh, when we were walking through the shopping center, what were you thinking? Ooh, that's a good one. Yeah. Give her the honest answer. Yeah. She she is really cute, and I know I shouldn't be looking over there, but I did, and I'm sorry. Shanna will say, she's not your type. <laughs> I'm like, you're right. She's not. I like curvy. <laughs> oh, man. Well, hey, this is so good. We're running short on time. I want to get you to your radio show, but I want to end with the number one answer the number one need of a woman this is the age old tension between men giving affection for love sex women giving sex for affection the number one need of women is of course affection man this is yep. huge on 28 page 28 you said women give sex for affection and men give affection for sex and i couldn't agree more how does a yep. man transcend that component and give his wife affection without a, a, a desire for reciprocation? Well, he's, he's going to have a desire for reciprocation, but my argument has always been that, that it, it, it is an environment. Uh, it, oh. It's not a single act. It's something you do throughout the day. You start the day hugging in bed. You, you, you start the day telling your spouse you love her. You hug her, you kiss her, and you say you're the most important person in my life. You start the day by calling her in, in during the day. You, you, you text her during the day. You, you text her several times during the day. And, and, when you, and you call her before you come home from work, telling her when you're going to be coming home. That's an act of affection. Yes. Um, you, you, you encourage her to complain to you. Encourage her to complain. Is there anything that's lacking? Tell me about it. That's oh. affection. I'm going to be there for you when you need me. It's it's a it's a whole attitude that I'm there for you. That's a fa that's what affection is, and 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 you want to say how can I express my affection? Well, can I can I bring you flowers? I don't like flowers. Um, what about a card? I don't like cards. Well, what do you like? I like it when you text me during the day. Interesting. I like it when you say hey, I'm thinking about you. That's affection. And and it is it is something that I feel a lot of times what men say a little more affectionate I am with my wife the more I want to have sex with her, and and I think that on a date that is very very 
important to recognize. And this is where I encourage people to have sex after a date every time. Oh, every I really, time you have a date, you have sex. I appreciate that advice. Hey, well, you know, it's really interesting. Uh, I'll send my wife texts and different things, and I'm not perfect, but the text that I find that really hits her is when I just send her a text that says, thinking about you. Yeah. That just yeah. destroys her. Uh, you know, and yeah. she's, you know, I just, I love it. I love it. So you said in your book uh, on page 29, you said this, and I really resonate. You said affection is the cement of a relationship. And later on, you said it is a skill that can be learned. And so we've got guys out there going, hey, man, I, 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 this affection thing. And, and, and we're saying, hey, dude, you can learn this. This is an art. Mm-hmm. You need to learn the art of affection or affection. And so, yep. h- what are some things that you can give our guys uh, uh, as well, far as tools? First of all, yes, yes, your spouse. What do you appreciate and what don't you appreciate when it comes to affection? And your spouse will give your wife will give you a list of things. I really appreciate when you're doing this and this and this and this, and I don't appreciate this and this and this and this. Now. Granted, if you make a list of things and start checking them off, that's going to seem a little artificial, and she may not appreciate it at first because it's something you're doing rote, okay? Mm, but you're getting into the habit of doing things she likes. Yes. And, 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 and when you like something, even if it is something that is rote, you still like it. Yeah. See, and so the basic idea is if somebody tells you that you got to do these things, and then in my chapter on affection, I have a list that one woman gave me about things that she appreciated. Her husband just ch- checks things off during the day, and then eventually he gets in the habit of doing all these things. She she appreciates, it, but they're but you have to understand they're symbols. These are symbols. Uh-huh. These the, the acts of affection are not in and of themselves the most important part of affection. The, the most important part of affection is that you really do care about your spouse. You really do. Yes. You really are committed to your spouse's happiness, and you're really willing to do. And then the symbol of affection, reminding her, I care about you, I'm thinking about you, deposits love units. But let's suppose you're not a caring husband. Let's suppose you've had affairs. Let's suppose you're physically violent. Then all the acts of affection aren't going to do any good. Because they don't symbolize any kind of care because you haven't been doing it. Oh, that's good. That is so good. Well, Bill, I want to honor your time. I know that you uh, have a lot of other things to get to. But, man, thank you so much. I'd like to get you on this show again and dig deeper into this and maybe pick up a couple of your other books. Is there a book that you would recommend that I read? Well, His and Attorneys and Love Busters go together. Love Busters. Okay. Yep. And and then there's a workbook that goes with the two of them called Five Steps to Romantic Love. Oh, man. Okay. Well, how can our guys get a hold of you? How can they pick up your books? Well, you can get all three of them everywhere. Um, Amazon, any bookstore, Barnes & Noble, everybody has them. And all you got to do is show up, and there they are. Well, and, they uh, magically appear. Yep. <laughs> well, yeah, I, and I think, yeah, it's really easy to find your book everywhere. It's all over the place. And so, man, I appreciate what you've done for marriages over your tenure of ministry. Uh, just appreciate you, man. I quote your book often and uh, uh, really good stuff. So thank you so much for li- for uh, being a part of our show today. I enjoyed it tremendously. You guys are good guys. Oh, thanks, man. Hey, man, you've been listening to the Man Card Podcast, helping us transform the lives of men and those they love as easy as one, two, three, one. 
Follow us by subscribing to the Man Card Podcast and join the Men in the Arena Facebook page for men. Uh, the, also, you can invest in your our resources, become the best version of you. Men, join us in building an army in the, of men in the arena who are becoming the best version of themselves and changing their world because when a man gets it, everyone, everyone wins. wins. Join the Men in the Arena closed Facebook forum for men. It's free. It's the best free resource out there to help you step up into your best version. Until next time, feel the wet sand on the arena floor. Hear the deafening roar of the crowd. Taste the sweetness of victory. Smell the stench of battle. (laughs) Get in the game. Get dirty. Grind it out. And be be a man. man. This is Dale Culver, and you've been listening to the Man Card Podcast. Has your man card been challenged today? You hunger to be the best version of you, then join thousands of men from around the world on our closed Facebook forum called The Men in the Arena. This is the best place to have open discussions around the topic of manhood. Also, make sure you ask about our newest equipping opportunity called the Man Card Weekend with the men in the arena. Let us inspire the men of your organization to become the best version of themselves today. And don't forget to purchase a copy of our popular field guide, a bathroom book for men. Jim wrote this book for men who don't read books. It's a daily study of manly words explained with great stories. You will find enough entries to read one a day for an entire year. That's right, 365 daily readings on what a man is and does. Get your own copy at mancardpodcast.com. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Man Card Podcast. This is Dale Culver signing off. Until next time, join our army and become the best version of you. Get in the arena. Let the world feel the full weight of who you are. Grind it out. Be a man. What type of dad are you? Guys, in my 35 years of ministry, I've noticed that guys basically fall into two categories. And in those categories, there are four types of dad or four phases that you pass through as a dad. We just dropped an amazing quiz to help you discover what type of dad you are. Find out what type of father you are and get our custom resources fit to meet the needs and the questions you are asking. Head on over to menarena.org. Join 20,000 men's from around the world and find out the type of dad you are.